Hey, good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? All you parents from this area look like you survived week one of school, right? Are you, were you excited that it got started? And All right, one person's excited school started. Cool. All right, well, I'm glad we can send your kids back home. If you want them, you can probably just leave them there. That's totally fine. But, um, but we are glad you're here. Thanks so much for being a part of the journey this morning. Uh, real quick before I, I get into the message, I just want to say, uh, if you get an opportunity to see our Journey Kids staff or Journey Teen staff, uh, just take a moment to say thank you to them. Uh, we have seen tremendous growth in this church this summer, and especially with our kids. Uh, last week there were 140 kids downstairs through sixth grade over the course of two services. Uh, they told me in the first service there were 80 kids downstairs in those age brackets. So we've made some changes with some classrooms and some spaces, and those two teams have had to kind of take the brunt of all of that and, and maneuver quickly and be flexible. So if you see them, make sure you thank them today uh, for that because they have put some hard uh, work and effort into making that happen. But, um, but wherever you are in your life, you got kids not single, married, whatever it may be, uh, we are glad you're with us today. In October 2012, a daredevil named Felix Bumgarner put on this pressurized suit. We got an image of it here. Almost looks like an astronaut's suit. And he climbs into this capsule. It looks like it's from the Apollo missions, right? Uh, but he, he gets in this capsule with a suit on, and this capsule is actually tethered to a specially made helium balloon, which when it's released, it takes him up into the stratosphere. For two and a half hours, he rides in this capsule until he reaches a height of 129,000 feet, which is about 24 miles above the Earth's surface. When he gets to that point, he depressurizes the capsule. He opens the door. He walks to the edge of this capsule. He salutes the cameras that are attached to it. And then he takes a step and free falls back to Earth. In less than one minute, he has reached a speed of 844 miles per hour. It's the only human, the first human that's ever done that without the, the use of some aircraft with him. But he free falls back to earth for four straight minutes where he finally deploys his suit or his parachute and then glides back to earth where he safely lands. My question for you is, what did you do this week? Because <laughs> I hear stories of people like Bumgarner, and I'm thinking to myself, my life is pretty boring, right? I get up, I get ready for work, I eat breakfast, I go to work, I come home, I eat dinner, I go to bed. It's pretty mundane, it's the same thing, and maybe your life feels the same. But other than driving around this area, my life's not very adventurous, and my guess is that for most of us, that's probably the case. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about living an adventurous life. Because I truly believe we are called to live an adventurous life. Now, when I'm talking about adventures, I'm not talking about falling, free-falling out of a capsule 24 miles in, in the air. I'm not talking about that. Or riding class 5 water, whitewater rapids every day. Or base jumping off the Eiffel Tower. Or surfing 100-foot waves off of Portugal. I'm not talking about living that kind of life. Now, some of you may do that, and that's, that's you be you. But, but I'm talking about an adventurous life that only comes through following Jesus. And so that's what we're going to focus on today as we finish up this series called Road Trip. 
Now, if you haven't been with us over the, the course of the summer, um, uh, let me just kind of give you a quick synopsis of the series. We've been looking at stories, events in people's life that we find in Scripture. And in that, we, we see what they learn about themselves on these road trips. We, we see what they learn about their relationships with other people. But most importantly, we see what they learn about their relationship with God. And so every week, again, we've been hitting these different road trips. And today we're going to do the exact same thing. But I actually want to start in a different place, right? We'll get to our road trip in a second. I want to start at this point in the book of John where Jesus is giving this teaching. And in this teaching to this particular crowd, he uses metaphors like he always uses. And he, he talks about these thieves who are coming in and they're stealing and killing and destroying the sheep. Now, the sheep within this teaching he's given are the Jewish people. The thieves kind of fall into a couple of categories for Jesus. One, they are revolutionary leaders of the time. Uh, these revolutionary leaders would come in and say, like, hey, we got to take our nation back. we gotta, we got to fight for what's ours. And so they're, they're going to the Jewish people like, you need to come with us. You need to be a part of, of what we are doing here so that we can get back to the golden age of Israel. And what they were promising was this adventurous life that was going to be about fighting, going to be about bloodshed, going to be about war. And Jesus is like, no, that's, that's those people you need to stay away from. That's, that's not what I, I'm here to do. And then you have the religious leaders. That was another group here, that they're doing the same thing. They're stealing these sheep. They're destroying these sheep. They're killing these sheep. And, and how are they doing it? They're saying, if you really want to know what it, it looks like to follow God, then do what we tell you to do. And if you live the life that we're telling you to live, you can have this adventurous, incredible life. But, but it really wasn't an adventurous life. It was the life the religious leaders wanted everybody to live. It was all about them. It was about their control, and it was about their power, and yet what are they doing? Again, they're, they're coming and grabbing and taking these sheep. And Jesus says, that's not the adventurous life I'm talking about. That's not the adventurous life that's intended for you or that God created you for. Here's what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. There's different translations of this particular passage. Uh, some say have a more abundant life. Another one says more and better life than they ever dreamed. Another one says my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Maybe you have a translation you like that says something very different. But here's Jesus who comes in and is like, you, you want to know what a fulfilling life looks like? You want to experience an abundant life? You want to experience an adventurous life? Here's what you do. Don't do what they're telling you to do. What you do is you follow me and live the life God intended for you. That all sounds great, but how do we live that life? How do we get to that place in our own lives? Well, that leads us to our story we're going to look at today, the event that takes place in 2 Kings chapter 2. Feel free to turn there. If you've got a Bible, we'll put it up here on the screen Starts with verse 1. So in the back of your mind, just remember what Jesus says there in John 10, 10. 2 Kings 2. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. But Elisha replied, surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. A little side note here, just something that's sort of a pet peeve for me with God, maybe with you too. 
I always try to figure out why did God put Elijah and Elisha together, <laughs> right? Because I want you to think about this a second. I mean, we, it's already been foreshadowed here. Something's going to really happen to Elijah. He's going to be taken away. And so God's got all these prophets to choose from. You know, he's like, man, Bob, Bob's a really good prophet. He's doing some good stuff. And Larry's amazing at this prophet stuff. And, oh, Daryl, Daryl's incredible. And, and Elisha, Elisha, man, he's the cream of the crop. Which one of these guys am I going to choose? Well, you know what? I'm going to choose the one with the name that's going to confuse everybody with the prophet I already have in place, right? And so he chooses Elijah, Elisha. So you got Elijah and Elisha, and for some reason, God thinks that was a great pairing at that time. If you get confused like I do many times, like which story goes to which person, I think you got a gripe with God that you can bring up at some point, okay? So feel free to do that. The other reason I'm telling you that is it's pretty likely I'm going to mess up the names at some point this morning, too. So... Bear with me if that happens. But we, we meet these two, but they've actually been together for seven years. They've had this relationship for, for many, many years. But as we see here, Elijah is told by God, this is where I want you to go. And so he tells Elisha, you stay here. And Elisha says, no, I'm going to go with you. And so we see that here, and then actually the next few verses, uh, four verses I think it is, we read the same thing. It's like, hey, stay, no, stay, no, stay, no. There's this back and forth that takes place, which tells us that Elisha is pretty persistent, that he's going to go with Elijah no matter what. And again, they've been together for quite a few years. Verse 7, 50 men from the group of prophets also went and watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. Then Elisha folded his cloak together and struck the water with it. The river divided, and the two of them went across on dry ground. We have this image here of this teacher who is Elijah. He's got his student, Elisha. And then we've got this audience, right? We've, we've got all these other prophets that are there, and they're all watching this. Well, Elijah and Elisha come up to the bank of the Jordan River. Elijah takes off this cloak that he has. He strikes the water. The water divides, which is a miracle, right? But then we have the second miracle because we can see here he doesn't walk across on wet ground. It says he walks across on dry ground. So, again, another miracle takes place. And so they cross. Verse 9, when they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken away. And Elisha replied, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. That's a difficult thing, Elijah replied. If you see me when I'm taken from you, then you will get your requests. But if not, then you won't. Elijah knows what's coming. He knows that in the next few moments he's going to be taken from this place. And so he tells Elisha, he he asks him one more question. He's like, what can I do for you before I'm gone? And Elisha says, give me a double portion of your spirit. Well, what does that mean? What's that connected to? Well, again, in Jewish culture, this would have been connected to inheritances for families. Uh, if your father passed away and you were the oldest son, you got a double portion over the rest of the sons within that homes. Um, for me, I, I've got the three, there's three of us in our family. There's me and my two younger brothers. And so if my, when my dad passes away, if we lived in that Jewish culture, I would get double the inheritance that my brothers would get. And I actually think that's a pretty good idea, don't you? 
Yeah. Maybe we see if we can work that into the will. But, um, but this is what he's asking. He's, he's using this family kind of connection here. And you might be saying, well, they weren't family. Well, well think about it this way. Elijah really was the spiritual father to, to the spiritual son of Elisha. Right? God, God calls Elisha to really be the heir to Elijah's work. So for him to ask for this double portion totally makes sense. He says, this is what I want, Elijah. And how does Elijah respond? He's like, hey, you know what? Got it. Not a problem. Here's the only deal. When I'm taken away, you've got to watch. You, you've got to see it happen. And if you see it happen, then you'll get that double portion. If you don't, pretty much too bad for you. Verse 11, what happens? As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them, and Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight... Elisha tore his clothes in distress. When we think about this story here, this is probably the image that comes to our mind. We've got this chariot. We've got these horses of fire. And, uh, and maybe you've seen this on a painting. Maybe you've seen this in some other rendition. Maybe you've seen it on your yoga mat. And you're like, why would you say yoga mat? I was looking for some image to use, and I came across this company. It's like, hey, do you want... You want a chariot of fire with horses of fire with Elijah being taken away on your yoga mat? We can make that happen for you. So I'm not sure that's too cool to take to your hot yoga class, but whatever. Um, but we see this image, and uh, let me just tell you it's wrong. Because if you read this, what it actually says is that the chariot and the horses of fire actually go between the two dudes, right? And what is it that actually takes Elijah away. It's the whirlwind. Now, does that really mean much? Probably not, but there's something in that I think we can learn for just some details. Well, Elisha is left behind, and what does he do? This is another miracle, right? He, he keeps his eyes on this, this spectacle, this, this miracle that, that's taking place in front of him, and, and I'm guessing, knowing how persistent Elisha was, he was doing everything to make sure he didn't turn away. Maybe he's holding his eyes open so he, he sees it fully happen. Maybe it's like the cartoons back in the day where they put the toothpicks in there to hold their eyes. Whatever it was, he was not going to let this moment pass. And so he kept his eyes on what was going on in front of him. But then as Elijah's taken away, what do we find here too? It says that he's yelling, right? Elisha is yelling. Elisha is tearing his clothing. Again, this goes back to Jewish culture. This is what you do when someone passes away. You lose someone who's close to you. This was how you were, would mourn in those days. And so he's mourning the loss of someone who was close to him. But now he's all alone. And I'm sure there's all these emotions that he's facing. There's probably sadness, or we know there's sadness, because he's, he's screaming, yelling, crying. He's tearing his clothes. He, he can't believe his time with Elijah is over with. There's, there's probably doubt that's there, maybe fear for what the future ahead is for him. And there's probably some excitement, too. Like, what is this going to mean for me? 
But I think there's this question that Elisha is trying to figure out. And the question is, what do I do next? Well, what does he do next? We see it in verse 13. It says, Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, Where's the Lord, the God of Elijah? Then the river divided, and Elisha went across. We go back to what we just read in John chapter 10, verse 10. What's Jesus say? Jesus says, I came to give you an abundant life. I came to give you a full life. I came to give you this adventurous life. And you and I are sitting back and thinking, how do we get there? Or kind of like Elisha, we ask ourselves, what do I do next? And I think we find our answers actually and we, we find our experiences through what we read here in verses 13 and 14. So I want to take parts of that passage and kind of focus on three different areas. Because in it, we, we see, I think, the process that we go through so often when we're trying to figure out what an adventurous life looks like for us. Here's the first thing that I think is important that we see here. It says, then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. Elisha's alone, right? He's in mourning, he's yelling, he's torn his clothes. But at some point, he heads back to the banks of the Jordan. Now, the translation I like to use when I'm reading Scripture and when I do it on Sundays, I use the New Living Translation. Uh, you may use that. You may use a different translation. That's great. Whatever fits for you, uh, just, just read, right? Just read. But the translation I use uses the word returned here. It says he returned to uh, the banks of the Jordan River. It's actually not the best translation. A better translation may be what some of you have in your Bibles is the word stood. That Elijah stood at the banks of the Jordan River. Now we understand what that word stood means, right? It means to stand in position. And, and so as we see this here, we, we get this impression that when Elisha gets back to the banks of the Jordan River, he doesn't cross. He stops there. He stands there. Now, we don't know how long he's there. It's like reading a book. There's so many of the details we got to kind of put in there, right? We're not told every minute and every second. It's the same in Scripture. But based on that verb that is used there, he doesn't just keep moving forward. He stops and he stands there. But why? Well, if you think about Elisha, he's probably in this crossroad of his life. Like he's got this really big decision to make. Do I stay where I am? Do, do I stay stuck on this side? Do I do, I do my own thing? Or do I, do I try to live a normal life like everybody else? Or... Or do I move forward into this life that God has for me? Do I move forward into the, to the adventurous life that God has created me to live? And so I feel like he's, he's at this crossroads trying to figure out what decision to make. I'm guessing you've probably been at a crossroad before in your life. And maybe it's not in the past. Maybe, maybe you're in that crossroad right now in your life. There's this big decision that you've got to make. It could be within a relationship you have or, or your job or maybe something about your physical body, your mental health, your spiritual journey you're on. And you're thinking to yourself, i got to choose. I can either stay right here where I am 
And I can be okay with the status quo. I can be okay with a normal life. I can do this on my own. Or I can take the step forward to actually live the life that God's created me to live. And so maybe we're stuck and we're thinking and we're pondering and we're wondering, just like Elisha, what the possible outcomes are if we move forward. What does Elisha actually do? He says he struck the water with Elijah's cloak. A little bit earlier we talked about how Elijah and Elisha kind of had this back and forth of, you know, stay go, stay go, stay go, or stay no, stay no, stay no. Um, I'm guessing right here Elisha's kind of having that same battle within his mind. Like he's trying to figure, do I stay or do I go? Do I stay or do I go? Do I stay or do I go? Um, Someone once said it this way. He said, my decision-making skills closely resemble that of a squirrel when crossing the street. (laughs) And if you've ever seen a squirrel do that, you know exactly what that looks like. And that may be you when it comes to making decisions in your life. But I think when it's a big decision, we oftentimes find that we're trying to decide, do I stay where I am? Am I okay with the status quo? Or do I step forward into what God has called me to do and the life God's called me to live? Elisha makes a decision. Because as he thinks about it, he realizes what's best for him. He realizes what's best for his life. He realizes what's best for his people. He realizes what's best for his relationship and his connection to God. And so what does he do? He strikes the water with the cloak of Elijah. At some point in time, like Elisha, you and I have to make a decision we got to make a decision to stay where we are or to, to move forward. A, a great example of this is, is marriage. Um, my wife, Karen, and I, we um, get the opportunity to talk to a lot of people individually and, and as couples. And uh, we know marriages are struggling. And by the way, it's not just outside in our community. Uh, look, I, I know that, that there's couples here that you're struggling in your marriage. There's challenges in your marriage. And if you come to us, I'm just going to kind of tell you how it plays out first. If you come to us like, hey, we're having a hard time. What do we need to do? We're going to give you this advice. Go to counseling. Get the professional help you need. Let a professional walk you through these steps. It's why we have our relationship with Safe Harbor Christian Counseling. It's why we, we, we don't love it, but we also love sending people to them. Because if we send you there, we know that you're struggling. But that's okay. You're finding the help that you need. And so we're like, hey, let's get you the help you need. Let's get a professional to help you walk through this. And thankfully, sometimes people actually listen. And they're like, yes, we'll do this. We know this is important. They're like, "Ah, we don't want to be stuck in our marriage anymore. We want to move forward into a marriage that God's created for us. But at the same time, we're also amazed at how many couples say, I would go, but he won't go with me. Or sure, I would go to counseling, but she doesn't want to do that. And so in that moment, you've made a choice. You've said, we're okay with our marriage being where it is. We're okay with our marriage being stuck. We don't want to move forward into the marriage God has created for us. We're going to do our own thing. And and I can tell you that never works out well for, for anyone. And so when we get that response from somebody, here's what we'll say. And again, if you ever come to us and ask us, you're going to get all the steps right here. We'll tell you, like, all right. They don't want to go. That's fine. Then you, you go work on you. And you'd be amazed about how many people hate that advice. 
They're like, no, I'm not going to go unless they go. I, I'm not going to go because he needs the counseling or she needs the help. And it's like, no, why don't you go work on you? Because could be that's the starting point to getting your marriage unstuck. And yet what we find is people like having stuck marriages. People like watching their marriages crumble right in front of them instead of taking these steps forward. And so maybe for you, you're at this crossroads when it comes to your marriage. And you've got to ask yourself, do I want to stay stuck? Do do I want to stay here? Do I want to live a a normal marriage? Or do I want to move forward into the marriage God's created for me? Or, Or do we want to stay stuck? Do we want to move forward? I mean, that's a crossroad for many of us when it comes to our marriages. But maybe your crossroad is different. Maybe it is a relationship. Maybe it's job-related. Maybe it's finance-related. Maybe it's health-related. Maybe it's soul-related. What is the big decision in your life where right now you feel like you may be stuck, but you know you need to step forward? See, we need to be like Elisha and be willing to begin by striking the water. Something funny happens when he strikes the water. It actually doesn't divide right then and there. What we find is Elisha has to say something. He says, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Now, I don't, I don't know if Elisha kind of thought this cloak that Elijah had was magical. And he just thought, hey, all the power is in that cloak, and so I'm just going to strike the water with it, and it's just going to boom, it's just going to poof. The water's going to divide, I'm going to walk across on dry land. I'm guessing he's kind of thinking this, but the power wasn't actually in the cloak. The power was in Elijah's relationship to God. And so if you think about this story, as he strikes the water, nothing's happening. And so he says these words, and it's not until he says these words, if you keep looking in verse 14, it says, Then... Then the water divided. Could it be that the reason you're stuck, the reason you're afraid to make a decision, the reason you are lost, is because you're trying to do it on your own. You're trying to do it your own way. Maybe there's some magical cloak that you've heard of and you think, this is going to save my marriage, and, and that's not what does it. It's really in that moment when we invite God to be into our lives. It's not to that moment that we understand, hey, I want to live this full life. I want to live this abundant life. I want to live this adventurous life. Well, you can't do that until the moment comes where you say, hey, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm ready. I want to follow you. I want to to live the life that you have promised me. I want to live this adventurous life. I'm tired of living the life that I've lived. And I'm ready to move forth. And so maybe like Elisha, we got to take a moment and invite God into our lives. I told you um, early on in this series that our road trip, our, uh, our vacation time was at the beach. Uh, it was back at the end of June. It seems like three or four years ago since the vacation happened. But um, we had a great, great week. Uh, here's a photo from... My uh, mornings, uh, I'd eat breakfast, and then I'd, I'd walk out onto one of the decks there, and I had a cup of coffee, and I talked a few weeks ago about resting and diverting daily, and so I'd go out there, I'd read a chapter or two, trying to keep up with my 
you know, New Testament group as we're trying to read through the New Testament this year. And, um, and then spend a little time in prayer before I'd go back in the house where there were 18 people at one point in the house. And um, 18 sounds like a lot. The house was fine for 18 people. Uh, it was family that was there and families of families. But, uh, but we had an, an amazing time. We had a great week there. At the beginning of the week, um, my sister-in-law, Kara's sister, came to, to me and said, hey, you know, our, our daughter wants to be baptized, and I want you to baptize her this week. And uh, over the last few months or so, maybe a year or so, they've been talking to her as parents. They, they've been uh, talking to her about baptism, uh, the, the church they go to, uh, the, the leaders there have been talking to her about baptism. Uh, we have a book downstairs called Taking the Plunge, which is all about baptism. And uh, maybe you're a parent and your kids are asking about it. It's down on the parent resource wall. Uh, highly recommend it. Maybe you're an adult and you're like, well, I don't have any kids, but I want to know about baptism. Just walk down there like, hey, this is for my kids. This is for my niece. I'm just going to take it home and read it because it's actually really good for adults too. There's some really good stuff in there. But uh, I recommend you go down and grab that and work through that with your kids or on your own. But... Um, but she came to this conclusion, like, hey, this is what I want to do. Uh, this is a step I want to take. And so we're excited. We're like, this is great. Saturday morning, uh, we're going to leave later on that day. Uh, her dad, uh, my brother-in-law, came up to me and said, hey, Chad, I want you to, I want you to baptize me today, too. Uh, he's been a part of our family for 15 years. Ever since he started dating Kara's sister when they were students at George Mason, and um, we have been praying for him to make that decision for 15 years. And he's not only a brother-in-law to me, he's actually become a really close friend, and I can tell you that uh, it was hard to keep my composure when he said those words to me. And he told me that morning, he's like, hey, I... I know this is something I've needed to do. I, I've known this is a step forward for me. I've just been hesitant to do it, but today's the right day. And so after lunch that day, we'd gone to the beach, we ate lunch, we went to the pool, and I, um, I had the opportunity to baptize him there. And other than my three kids that I've had the chance to baptize, definitely the most memorable moment in my life as a pastor. Uh, the cool part, though, was not only was he baptized, but then he and my sister-in-law baptized their daughter, and they also baptized their son. Here's a photo from that day. So we got to experience that together. Uh, I'm not holding my stomach in, just so you guys know. <laughs> It's a terrible photo there. It's my shirtless photo. If it causes you to sin, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think technically, biblically, you're supposed to pluck your eyes out now, okay, if that's, if that's the case. But I got to tell you, that is the, the most fun, that was the best vacation ever because of what we got to experience as a family on that day. You might be thinking to yourself, Chad, hey, that's a cool story, but what does that have to do with what we're talking about today? Well, I don't know what God's calling you towards. I don't know what big decisions you have that you 
you are trying to make in your life right now. I don't know what crossroads that you find yourself at where you're like, hey, I, I'm stuck and I'm not sure what to do. And you're trying to make this, this big decision. I, I don't know what that may be for you. But here's what I do know. For you to become unstuck from where you are, like Elisha, like my brother-in-law Brian, you have to invite God into your life. It wasn't until that moment where Elisha invites God in that the waters actually divide. But what does that look like for you? Where is that place you find yourself at? Maybe it is baptism. Maybe that's a step that you've never taken in your life. I got a chance to chat with somebody uh, after second service telling me about how over the past couple of weeks they have gone into sobriety. They have struggled with uh, some things in their life for many, many years. And, and he told me, he's like, hey, I need to be baptized. That's the step I need to take in my life. And I'm thinking, that's amazing. That's incredible. Maybe that's you. But maybe you have questions, right? Maybe you have questions about baptism. Maybe you're trying to figure it out and you're not sure about it. You have doubts about it. Why do we do it the way we do it? What does it mean? What scripture say? Next Sunday during our 1030 service, Joel, our associate pastor, is actually going to do a baptism class. And uh, it's going to be over in the White House. Some of you, you're like, when you leave, you're like, are we driving through somebody's backyard? No. Um, the White House actually is our offices. Our offices are over there. There's a living room in there. It's got tables in it, and so we do classes there now. But we'd love for you to sign up. You can do that through the app. Uh, you can do that through the QR code that's in front of you. But, but maybe that's the place that you're at right now. And that's the big decision for you. Like You're fully inviting Jesus into your life to, to move you forward. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a relationship that you are struggling with. Maybe it's financial in nature. Maybe it's connected to your career. Um, you've been trying to do these things alone. And now it's time for you to say, but that just keeps me stuck where I am. And it's time to invite God into your life. And truly and only then can we live this abundant, full adventurous life. See, it wasn't until Elijah called on God that the waters divided. It wasn't until he called on God that he was able to step forward into the life God created for him, the life that God wanted him to live, this adventurous life. We go back to verse 14. It says, then, right, he just called on God. It says, then the river divided and Elisha went across. Whatever it is in your life that's keeping you stuck on the riverbank, maybe it's time for you to make a really big decision in your life. Maybe it's time for you to call on God. Maybe it's time for you to be all in when it comes to Jesus. And that way you can live this adventurous life that you've been called to live, that you've been created to live. But Jesus didn't say it was going to be easy. And Jesus didn't say, if you follow me, you're going to have a normal life. Jesus says, if you follow me, you will have an abundant life. If you follow me, you will have a full life. If you follow me, you will have a life of adventure. And although something like Bumgarner's feet sounds pretty incredible, that's really not true adventure. 
True adventure for us comes by being all in with Jesus. And as we finish today, and as we finish this series, my question to each of us is what adventure has God called you to? Let's pray. God, we are grateful for your love for us. And that God, when you sent Jesus to this earth, it was to give us an adventurous life, to give us a full life, an abundant life, an incredible life. But God, we got to be willing to say, hey, I'm, I'm all in. And I know we want to get stuck in the normalcy of life and be like everybody else, but that's not the life you've called us to. You've called us to a full life, an abundant life, an amazing life, an adventurous life. And may we, God, live out the venture that you've created for each one of us. And may it begin by putting our faith and trust in Jesus and fully following Jesus with everything that we have. In Jesus' name. Amen.